What is it about lyrical, beautiful descriptions of the horrifying that makes you both lose your breath and lose your sleep? We discuss the ocean, fear, horror, and how we need families to manage it all with Jordan Cobb, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins. Last time, you heard an episode of Primordial Deep. Today, we're interviewing its creator, Jordan Cobb. Jordan Cobb has been working in podcasts for years, wearing enough hats that she could grace the cover of the children's book, More Caps for Sale. Several years ago, at the Pod Tales 2019 Festival, I interviewed Jordan Cobb about her work as a writer and an actor. Primordial Deep was crowdfunding at this point in time, and I got to ask her directly about her work, dreams, and goals for the project, among other questions about her extensive work in podcasting. We'll dig deeper into the themes and goals at play in this podcast, including fear and the unknown, beauty, trauma bonding, and, obviously, dinosaurs. Please note in the following interview, we discuss trauma and its effects on the self, and a brief mention of current U.S. politics and climate change. Well, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, Jordan. We're really excited to have you here, uh, whether or not anyone is making weird body noises. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Happy to be here. The Happy stuff, to be back. The stuff that your career is based on, schadenfreude and weird body noises. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so long as no one gets tired of that, I'm good forever. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, you've you been on this podcast before. Um, you've talked about Giannis Ascending with our previous host, David. And this time, instead of deep space, we're in deep water and in deep shit, but that one's normal. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so uh where does your fascination with with dinosaurs and the prehistoric eras come from um so oh god i i think i've always had a fascination with things that are very large and in some sense unknowable so it's sort of been a a theme it's what draws me to space it's what draws me to the ocean uh Though dinosaurs actually kind of came in much later, because um, I, I was always a, a sci-fi fantasy kid, but I didn't actually discover my love of dinosaurs until my middle school drama teacher introduced me to Jurassic Park in uh, in seventh grade. Classic. <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> and I was hooked. I immediately, like immediately after class, ran upstairs to the library and was like, do you have the book version of this? And my librarian was staring at me like I was a nutcase, but he was like, yeah, it's right over there. And I got it and I read the whole thing in like a day. It was, it was a lot. It's adorable. <laughs> what do you think um, kept this, uh, like kept this interest alive to the point where it became a central conceit for the horror of, of Primordial Deep, right? Because I mean, sure, Jurassic Park, right? Uh, I mean, valid. Jurassic Park's an important movie. My boyfriend loves Jurassic Park also. 
your boyfriend has excellent taste. I mean, we knew sure. that. Yeah, He's dating no. you, so, like, duh. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a really good question. So, hmm, I think that it it's one of those things that for a long time I would just kind of come back to it, you know? Uh, I think it's become especially since Primordial Deep, but really more as I've sunk into the podcasting uh, genre, uh, it's gotten to be uh, more of a touchstone of of my personality. You know, people see weird dinosaurs and weird monsters and they're like, where's Jordan? Got to retweet that and tag her in it. Um, (laughs) That helps. (laughs) But I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, was either like on the back burner of my brain or the front burner. Like it was always there, but sometimes like, like it was cyclical. I could shift it back for a while and be interested in other things, but I always kind of just come back to the dinosaurs. Um, I think moving to New York very much helped because one of my go-to places um, when, uh, especially my first year of college when uh, I was, incredibly depressed and did not realize it but whenever I needed to you know go and classic yeah right (laughs) it's like oh I'm in acting school but I don't feel like I fit in why am I sad all of the time I'm gonna go to the natural history museum uh and of course I did because of because me because me because Um, you have good taste (laughs) because I have very good taste except when I don't and then I have very bad taste but that's a whole other (laughs) kettle of fish (laughs) but you know that became one of my go-to hangouts it was uh like Joe's Pizza the Natural History Museum and I would bounce around between the uh the planetarium the blue room and uh and the uh dinosaur exhibits and it just there's something so utterly fascinating about these creatures that owned the entire planet, walked for millions of years on this world, and then just vanished without a trace. And we didn't know anything about them for so long. And we still don't know so much about them. So many creatures lived and died and had all of these lifetimes of adventures that we will never know about. But we can we can start to scratch at the surface. And that's what I I love about a, a lot of of history in general, but especially the history that came, you know, when no one was looking. I find it utterly fascinating. Um, so Primordial Deep is set in the same world as Giannis Descending, right? In this first episode, Maddie makes a comment in uh, in it about how Aphelion wants a shiny piece of paper which is the Aphelion Industries of Giannis Descending. Yes. Um, and you've commented before on Twitter about how large this universe is, such that you have in the past, quote, broken your own brain, end quote. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what was, oh, no. Uh, what was the initial inspiration for, for having everything connected? What was the, the thing that made you fuse these ideas together? Well, at a certain point, I realized that... I I wanted to be able to have uh, a very expansive sandbox to work in. And I knew that with with Giannis Descending and Descendants and their 
was a, a third series I actually had in mind um, to go after Descendants, which may end up being more of like a series of novellas or something. I'm still working that out. I have the entire timeline tracked. Um, wow. But I realized, yeah, it's it's a lot. I have, <laughs> I have a lot of stories, <laughs> a lot of stories. Um, but I realized that with the the way that Giannis descending into descendants worked, we were never really going to see much of the rest of that world. Like it's very focused on those characters and uh, it's not really a spoiler. Everybody knows how this goes, but, um, but essentially the, the ending of their world as they know it. Um, but I, I wanted to be able to play with that same sort of, high-tech, high-sci-fi, fun, extra bits of the universe and just see where what other people were doing and how these weird organizations come to be and what it all looks like. Um, so Primordial Deep does not ever directly tie into Giannis Descending or Descendants. Uh, it's sort of a peripheral story. It'd be very funny if they did because uh, I would have a a difficult time with that, um, <laughs> you know, voicing both Chell and Maria, but uh, they will, uh, or at least Primordial Deep will tangentially continue to reference more things that are going on in the surface world um, to just see how, how that plays out. Yeah. Talk to me about your world building methodology. How do you keep track of everything and weave these ideas together? Oh, so fun fact. I'm actually really uh, uh, bad at that. Um, <laughs> oh, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's so funny because I can keep, you know, plot lines in my head. But if you, if you ask me, like, specific world-building details, I'll have to go back and actually, like, refer to the scripts. This happened to me when I was, when I was writing uh, Descendants and doing the edits for it. I, you know, just jotted down some like very important sentence went back and I was like, wait, that is, that is so categorically incorrect. Like I, <laughs> this is, this is so like, I, I said that, that Chell was a, a Xeno archeologist and I'm like, that's, that is incorrect. I said in the very first episode, that's not her job. That's not no. what she, okay. Got to fix it. <laughs> um, so, so what I do to keep track of my world building uh, is I, I write whatever, you know, scripts I am working on and I edit them and then I read them very carefully before we go into recording and jump back and I'm like, hey, cool. So remember how in episode three of season one you said this mm, directly contradicts this bit. Um, and then... <laughs> I just, I try and it's, you know, and I write things down. I've started outlining and that's helped a little bit. Um, but a lot of the time the world building is just what feels most interesting in the moment. So if you're noticing inconsistencies, it's because the new inconsistency sounded more interesting than the old inconsistency. And I will call myself out about it in like an episode or two. Don't worry, we're getting there. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's something that, uh, it, it's 
I think it's just because there's so much mm-hmm. of the stories going on in my brain at any given time that all the big, like, wild and weird twists and turns that the story is going to take are crowding out the minor details like, oh, this character has a middle name, but in this episode you said that they don't have a middle name. Damn it. Fix it. <laughs> well, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great. I don't it's know great. why I expect I expected uh I didn't expect that answer. Um but it well, is <laughs> very much you. Yeah. There's just so much story <laughs> and so much happening that uh sometimes you just have to just edit really 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 carefully. Really carefully. Yeah. And just it's... call it good. <laughs> yeah, uh which I just I laugh at this because you know I have a head for details for any story except my own. Um, like, I was able to hold characters and places and plot lines from reading the Game of Thrones books. I That's, read all of them in a single impressive. summer, and I was like, I got this. I understand who all these people are. Awesome. That's and there's like a jillion people there. But yep. this, you know, comes from reading multiple books at the same time. I've got like seven audiobooks that I'm listening to at the same time. So I can track all of that. But if you ask me, hey, what color shoes was Maria wearing on the beach on the first episode? I'm like, she was wearing shoes. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And God bless Julia Shafini. God bless Julia Shafini because the number of times... <laughs> She has called me out and been like, mm, hey, hey, babe, hey, babe, um, that's no, that's not correct there. I'm like, you're right. You're right. Thank you. You are the greatest. So, and, you know, careful outlining and get yourself a Julia Shafini. Get yourself the Julia Shafini if you can. But like <laughs> a Julia Shafini will do in a pinch, I suppose, if yeah. you really need world building. <laughs> yeah. Having having multiple checks. Multiple people on your team who are able to run checks on your script must be very helpful. Um, oh, yeah. Is and, and very Julia helpful. Julia knows the worlds, you know, nearly as well as I do. I haven't I haven't given Julia all of the spoilers yet. Well, but of course not. Julia knows gotta, these worlds. Save yeah. some things to surprise Julia with. Exactly. And it's funny because, you know, sometimes like cast and, and other crew members will be like, OK, but what happens next? And I'm like do you really want me to tell you? And they panic. They're like, no, don't tell me anything. And they like run in the opposite direction. (laughs) So, you know, like, I'd love to have more of those special checks, but uh, it's just me because I scare people with my knowledge. (laughs) Uh, Through Maria's narration, we come to view the monsters of the deep with awe and fear intertwined because she describes them in this really beautiful lyrical prose why did you choose to portray the primordial deep dinosaurs in this fashion through her private narration um i think there's something really interesting that happens when people are simultaneously terrified and really fascinated by the thing that is happening in front of them. Um, Maria, I love her as a character because through everything, she is trying to view it all through this very clinical, scientific, like, 
I'm not necessarily a part of this, I just came here to do my job kind of perspective. But she can't help but to be swept up into those those deeper emotions. And in in all of my work, what I want to convey is a sense of awe and wonder at the world around us, of, of not just the bright and beautiful things, but also the things that are dark and ugly and terrifying, because I think there's something innately human in being able to look at the world around you and see the sparks of beauty that lie within. Even in the absolute worst moments, you can look up at the sky and see the stars. Even if you're literally staring into the jaws of death, you can notice the beautiful pattern on, say, the the tiger's fur. There's always something there in the world to to give, if not hope, then then that comforting knowledge and understanding that there is still beauty within the world, despite all of the really awful, ugly things that we can go through. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to hold on to. And it's something that I try to hold on to um, personally, especially when things are getting dark and scary and awful. But, you know, at the same time, you're staring at a behemoth that's like 20 feet long and mostly teeth. There's going to be some terror in there as well. You know, it's not... <laughs> we're not having a good time here. We're no. One of the central themes in Primordial Deep is that of found family forged in adversity, right? Talk to me about the Tiamat team and what your goals were in setting up their relationships in the way that you have so strongly at the forefront of a sci-fi thriller. Yes. So with this team in particular, um, so my my one of my original premises, one of my original goals with Primordial Deep was to see uh, a group of people who were primarily persons of color uh, placed into the middle of a sci fi situation where normally, you know, we're the first to get killed off. Yeah. Uh, so we don't we don't get to have those big grand adventures. Um, and usually we don't last long enough to get that found family type feeling. Uh, it's it's the the shock death, the the death to introduce the monsters, that sort of thing. Um, and I've always been profoundly disappointed by that sort of trope. Um so with the Tiamat team, I wanted to do something different and uh, allow these characters um, to to have a little more of the spotlight. And as I was writing it, um, you know, so the way that I work is uh, with with longer form stories like Primordial Deep is going to be. I have an exit strategy for all of these characters. Like I have I have their names written down in my little black book and like I could kill any of them off at any given moment. Like it's <laughs> that's settled. We're good. Um, but the deeper I was getting into this story and these people, the more I started to go, oh, no. Oh, no. They are so lovable. Crap. What have I done? <laughs> 
crap. Um, <laughs> so it, it sort of the bonds that they forged. I, I almost want to say that they forged them themselves because I had I had sketches and outlines of who is in relationships with who and how they get along and that sort of thing. Um, but as I began to flesh them out and figure out what their quirks were over the course of the writing, I was like, oh, this could actually go in a much deeper and stronger connection, you know, between the audience and the characters, because I, I, I'm going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn here, but I, I no, think these not. are probably the strongest characters I've ever written. And that's what makes those relationships so realistic, because they they are real people. Like, to some extent, it's 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 harder to feel connection when you know that the characters are like kind of tropes. And that's where I was starting with them was characters who were tropes. But the more that I sunk into the story, they sort of started showing me new sides of themselves. Um, like with Spinner, you know, I, I love having a loud mouth flirt on like any of my shows i just it's I just one say, of my favorites giancarlo apparently that's the only like that's like the typecast for giancarlo <laughs> <laughs> i mean he does it really well he, he does, does it really he does. well he does when we do have moments where we see spinner in peril mm-hmm. and those more vulnerable undertones start to come through like he fleshes himself out and becomes an entirely different person than you think he is in the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. And moving forward with that makes it so much easier to get his connections with Maddie, his uh, connection with Maria as that begins to grow. And it's just, uh, you know, even his connection with Loire. Part mm-hmm. of part of what I wanted to do with these relationships um, was take characters who don't usually get a lot of face time or don't get a lot of heart time. Uh, you you don't necessarily get to know who they are as people because you do tend to see them as cardboard cutout tropes and put them in situations where they actually get to speak their minds and tell you how they are feeling and what they are going through. That was one of my favorite things with writing uh, scenes with Loire um, mm-hmm. instead of just having the, you know cold, hard, I'm in charge kind of captain. You get to see him in his more vulnerable moments. You get to see him when he's worrying. You get to see how he reacts to uh, disasters that affect his crew and all the things he does to protect them. Um, So it, it was finding moments of like, okay, well, what don't we get to see that I was really excited to get to explore? And I'm so happy it came out the way it did. And now I get to mess with them because you all care. <laughs> I will say that I agree with you. And these are some of the best characters that you've ever written. Just to switch tactics a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, which marine dinosaurs did not make the cut into the season? A lot of the ones that will be popping <laughs> up in season two. Figures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um since since this is going to be the the first episode of season 2 possibly the second i don't mind spoiling this but uh have you ever heard of a creature called dunkelosteus sounds very familiar it is a 
an armor-plated fish that uh, could get up to about the size, I believe, of oh. like a school bus. I think I have seen Him's this a honker. Fo- I think I've seen this fossil. Yes, it's it's great. They have <laughs> oh, they have no. they have they have the armor plating of of a couple of them uh, at the Natural History Museum. But one of my favorite facts about Dunkleosteus is that they don't so they don't have teeth. What they have are these really like the the metal plates that cover the top and bottom of their mouths are jagged like teeth. And as they pass each other in a sort of scissor motion, they're self-sharpening. They are and what? They are self-sharpening armor oh. mouth plates. Absolutely uh, not. Strong enough to... So they came apart so fast that it created something of a vacuum and prey would be sucked into its mouth and then it would just scissor chop them in half. I have opinions. I'm sure you all, do. <laughs> all, of, all of them start with nope. Yeah. <laughs> all of them are no, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, I just we're... found some like recreations of, yeah. of this thing. I love them uh, so much. They're, they're like bonkers. They're, they're like great. great. They're like great white sharks with armor and on steroids. Yeah, just bigger and worse and definitely ate sharks. Uh, yeah, another, absolutely. Another little did. fun fact. Another there. fun fact. They definitely ate sharks. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's uh, horrifying. I would also totally expect to find a version of these in like some kind of like steampunk horror. They look almost oh, like they're yeah. covered in like metal. Um like, I could yeah. imagine that. That's, yeah. Uh, that's... Oh, that'd be so much fun. Oh, I'm making a note of that. Thanks, You're Ellie. Welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm so glad that I could help. Fuck. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is why uh, I'm, I'm shocked, <laughs> shocked that people tell me things about the ocean, that people go out of their way to point out weird, creepy fucking monsters to me. That they're like, hey, Jordan, have you seen this? And like maybe 60% of the time I'm like, yes, I have. In fact, I'm the person who retweeted it and that's why it's on your feed and I'm not sorry. (laughs) But the other 40% of the time is, oh, I hadn't heard of that one, but I'm filing this away and I'm absolutely going to abuse this information Thank you. You will be seeing this in your nightmares, courtesy of me, sometime very soon. Soon. (laughs) I'm not telling you when, but soon. Amazing. Well, I'm sorry to everybody. Um, You know, you live and you learn. Or you live and you tell me stuff and then you don't learn and I keep learning new stuff. I like the second version better. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I really do. Radio Drama Revival started as a real radio show in Maine in 2007 and has been showcasing fiction podcasts and elevating the voices of their creators since then. We have a Patreon, and it's really crucial to keep the show afloat. Our team is growing bigger in order to handle all our production needs, and they deserve to be paid fairly for this work. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. You can hear past bloopers from our previous host, David Reinstrom, And even a blooper file on me already. 
I'd love to see you in our Patreon Discord, where we ask you for your questions for interviews, if you have any, and talk about podcasts and also whatever weird fact David has come across recently. Again, that's patreon.com slash radiodrama revival. Any amount helps, really. Now, back to the interview. So we're going to enter into the spoiler zone here since we're Ooh, talking about dinosaurs spoiler again. Zone. So audience, if you have not listened to everything of Primordial Deep and you don't want to be spoiled for the rest of it, um, this is the moment in which you pause and you go check the episode description for the timestamp at which the spoiler zone ends. Otherwise, strap in. I want to guess which episode this is going to be about. Okay. This is either going to be about episode four or it's going to be about the season finale. Well, the first question is about the season finale. My, <laughs> yes, that's correct. Um, the episode four, I didn't come up with any real question. I just mostly have a comment here that says, why do you insist on making me cry? Oh, um, uh, so. so with with episode four, um, oh, I I genuinely cried. Uh, when I wrote that, yeah, and again when I had to record it, those are those are real tears in yep. both four and five because I made, I made a huge mistake, huge mistake, uh, killing Destin off. But mm-hmm. we will get more of Destin, uh, not actual Destin, but we will get more of Destin because I just, yeah, I, oof, I messed up. That was that was a plot point that I wrote in the outline, and I did it. And the instant I did it, I was like, "I have regrets, but I can't move forward with my plots anymore unless I, <laughs> unless I keep it in." So, well, so we'll all suffer. So we'll all suffer. Uh, episodes four and five were genuinely some of the best sad writing. Uh, I Oof, sort of yeah. lay heartbroken in my living room like a limp fish as it were uh yeah fun fact uh so (laughs) oh no oh no i deserved that but the audience didn't oh no that's mean that's funny but that's mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so actually fun fact about that uh so i was actually when i conceived this show I had no intention of playing Maria. Uh, I was actually going to play um, either Ashira or Serena. That was mm-hmm. my plan. And then I wrote episode four, and I was like, okay, we're good. Um, also, this is not a spoiler, but like, that's why Maria talks so much. It's because I got so excited. I was like, someone else has to say all of these lines. Ha 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 ha. This isn't my problem. <laughs> And then... <laughs> Regrets. <laughs> and then I wrote, listen, no, it bit me in the ass so hard. Uh, it basically bit my ass off when I wrote episode five because I sat down and I wrote Maria's monologue where she finally, like, admits that she's not okay. And I looked at it and I went, damn it, I put... Too much of myself and too much of my own trauma in here, and I'm not a good enough director to make someone else do that and do it the way I want to. So I have to play this character myself. Damn it! 
I was so mad. I think Julia might still have the, like, pissed off text messages that I sent her because I was fuming. I was, like, yelling. Yelling. I was so mad about this. <laughs> oh, I had That's... such high hopes. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be my problem. She can talk for literally hours and all I'm going to have to do is, like, just cut it together and, like, that'll be fine. Nope. Nope. And then it became your problem. And then it was my problem. I was going to yep. sit back. I was going to coast for this one. Nope. Nope. Not an option. All right. Not an option. I see how it is. <laughs> um, so I was also, I was really interested in Colin's approach to evolution. This, this idea of we have to go back in order to go forward. Um, like back to when the earth wasn't dying because humans wrecked it, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, talk to me about this concept and what thoughts about the current status of earth did you put into Colin? It partially ties into future plots that will be revealed in season 2.5 slash season 3. Like, we'll be, we'll be fully into it by the end of season 2. Um, Fair enough. Uh, where there is this concept of how life began um, that is going to be influential to how people are behaving um but also you know there's this with Colin I keep in mind who he used to be and that's another thing that I'm I'm hoping to be able to reveal more of as the series goes on but you know Colin wasn't always you know a giant half-crocodile monster man. He was a human being who had a, a deep love of, of science and the world around him and a genuine love of other people and really wanted to to make a change and, and help. Um, and I think that there's something that happens when people experience high levels of stress and extreme levels of trauma that it can warp those most basic, integral, uh, foundational pieces of who you are um, and and twist it in a way that, you know, the, the person you used to be and maybe even the person you're becoming would be horrified at the way that, that your beliefs have been sort of taken and stripped and changed. Um, and I think that the combination of being alone for so long, the combination of um what Colin experienced and how he began to change and evolve himself that fascination with the past and that love of nature and uh, I, I think uh, so much of who he used to be kind of got twisted and conflated um into this thing that he became that that wanted to continue to make change and to continue to see the world shift and grow and be beautiful. But his concept of beauty has very much shifted and it is no longer having to do really anything with human beings that no, no, we're better off without because look at what human beings have actually 
done to the world. Human beings have poisoned the oceans and caused so many thousands of species to go extinct. And, you know, also, uh, look what human beings did to Colin or what they failed to do for Colin when he was suffering and desperately needed help. Um, and I think there's a level of resentment that kind of adds to that twist uh, into who he wound up being by the end of the show. Um, yeah, I... Poor Colin. I I want better for him. Alas. But he was written by me and then we threw acid in his face. Oh, accurate. Yeah, so... Uh, so did I really want that much better for him? I, I guess not, because, like, yikes. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> did a great job, though. <laughs> yeah, Josh did great. <laughs> um, so the syndicate, speaking of villains, right, the syndicate is the secret society that's pulling the strings for who knows what reasons. Um, I'm sure we'll find out eventually. Oh, um, you will. <laughs> but what appeals to you about secret societies as, like, an arch enemy? Um... I think so much of my problem with the way the world currently runs is that so many decisions are made behind closed doors, that so many decisions are made for personal reasons and personal gain and have the power to affect millions of lives. And secret, secret societies sort of epitomize that in a way, that it's this private club. Um, and a lot of the time, it's a private boys club where you can't necessarily get your foot in the door. And besides the fact that you can't get your foot in the door, they're making choices for you that will affect you. And you will never know what those choices were to begin with. You don't know what they're after. You don't know where they originated. You don't know who these people are, but every choice that they make will affect you for the rest of your life, and you won't even notice that someone else is pulling the strings. That's terrifying to me and deeply upsetting because, you know, growing up in the United States, um, especially in the, like, aggressively liberal New Jersey suburb that I grew <laughs> up in, um, and then moving to New York, I, I have a very strong sense of of what is just and what is right. And, and I mean, my dad genuinely thought that I was going to be uh, a lawyer when I grew up because I would just get so incensed as a little kid. And, like, it's funny when little kids get pissed off at, about stuff, but, like, I would get so upset about things that I didn't think were fair and that felt like they were outside of my control. And that's sort of been a battle that I've been fighting my entire life um, and continue to do my best to fight every single day. Uh, and I, so I tend to lean on secret societies to be not just that big brother pulling the strings kind of side of things, but also to represent, like, well, who gets to decide what justice is? And at the same time, just because you don't know what someone is doing, 
doesn't necessarily mean that their end goal is going to be a bad thing. But because you don't know, like, it, it's, it puts you in an automatic place of disadvantage. But also, like, that's a, that's a really scary position for anyone who has spent their entire life um, believing in the fundament that they are a, a free human being with rights. That's a, that's a very scary and, you know, very American way of looking at the world. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I got to call myself out where I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's brilliant, right? Because, I mean, um, I was just thinking a lot about um, about secret societies and and how we and how, like, so many decisions are made behind closed doors in, like, the government. Um, yeah, in and our backdoor deals and, and yeah, that sort of thing. That sort of thing, and then its connection to things like climate change, um, and you know, everything whole, affects like, everything else. Exactly, and like the whole like the summit that happened recently, where like the U.S. basically wielded its giant money dick. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, no, I just I just have yeah. this mental image. Of <laughs> not even Uncle Sam, Lady yeah. Liberty, swinging a money dick around, and I'm like. <laughs> You know, <laughs> listen, everything else is green. I'm here for it. Trans it rights, Lady Liberty. Trans yeah, rights. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, right. And so, yeah, no, I just uh, I was I was thinking about it again uh, this week while that was happening and mm. how it ties into um, primordial deeps like more. I think this is this in particular is a very interesting show to listen to right now. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to continue. Uh, yes, it's, yeah. And it's certainly going to be interesting to continue making um, over over the, the coming months and, and years. Because I, I have four and a half seasons planned. Like, I know exactly where the story goes and, and how this all wraps up. And it's, you know, four main seasons and whatever mini series that julia will allow me to to produce <laughs> oh julia's julia's absolutely the boss in this situation let's be let's be absolutely clear like i i'm the director writer producer julia's the boss uh because julia has the hardest job so <laughs> that's fair fair and well <laughs> yeah um but yeah so it's it's gonna be interesting and, and i was glad that i got to slip at least little bits of that in um even even early on like with with spinner's conversation about you know guys like me don't die in situations like this uh and and that sort of thing because it is a very prevalent piece of our lives you know yep. yeah so yeah. we'll see how that all shakes out i'm i'm interested to see how the story shifts and changes uh moving forward so are the rest of us. No pressure. No, um, no simple. No pressure. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, no pressure. Even though we are at the bottom of the ocean. So all the pressure. I mean, Kieran did turn the air off that one time, and there was a lot of pressure then. There's but a lot you know, of pressure then. But it's fine. Don't worry about it. He turned um, it back on. Yeah, it's the big deal. It's fine. It's probably exactly what he's going to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is the end of the spoiler zone. Um, if you've reached this point in the audio, you have exited the spoiler zone. 
Um, Woohoo! Congratulations. <laughs> so I have one last question for you, mm-hmm. um, which is that you are hip deep in production for Descendants, which you've mentioned a couple of times, the sequel to Giannis Descending. I am. Um, what can we expect from this show? Other than more ways to make us cry about sweet baby children in terrible situations. Oh, what can you expect from Descendants? Um, People are going to assume that I started writing this during quarantine and during lockdown because, hey, we get a giant quarantine lockdown for this. And I started writing this before I even had the idea for Primordial Deep, I swear. Um, but that's that's all of season one. Uh, and then with season two, um, how to phrase this without giving it all away. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, we can't. <laughs> upsetting life choices and fire. Yeah. Oh. Oh, good. Yeah, upsetting life choices and fire for season two. So oh, that'll be oh, that'll good. be fun. Upsetting life choices. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that could summarize pretty yeah. much no, every yeah, yeah. single thing I've ever written in my entire life. Just upsetting, upsetting life, choices life choices by Jordan yeah. Cobb. Yeah. Well, look, it's your your memoir. <laughs> yes. Oh God. That would actually be a really funny memoir title. Yes, it would. <laughs> Stealing that one too. <laughs> Okay, and so that brings us to the close of our interview. Thank you so, 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 so much for coming on to RDR and talking Primordial Deep with me. Uh, I love talking about horrifying monsters of the deep with you, so. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm happy to do it literally any time. Good. <laughs> if you liked what you heard, you can support Jordan's work at nosuchthingradio.com slash support. Radio Drama Revival runs on not enough water and people yelling at us to drink more water. If you'd like to help keep us afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now we bring you our moment of Rashika. In an episode with Jordan Cobb, it makes sense to do a moment of that has to do with sea creatures and the deep and... In this case, sharks. So I learned something quite interesting just the other day, which is that the human nose can smell rain better than sharks can smell blood. Just sit with that for a second. That means it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Klitskani Indian tribe, the Kaolitz Indian tribe, and the Atfalati tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton, Oregon. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Kass. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager is Ann Baird. Our line producer for this episode was Rashika Rao. Our researcher is Diane Tapia. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our associate marketing manager is Jillian Schrager. Our transcriptionist is Katie Yeomans. 
Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhouse and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. <laughs>